You know, when you study Jesus' life and His ministry, His entire ministry, I think, is worthy of our pursuit and understanding. But there are certain moments, I think, that are, are poignant and maybe even worthy of a, a pause for us to look into maybe a little closer. In some, some ways, the gospel writers do that as well. And one of those moments in Jesus' life is really just before His uh, trial and then crucifixion on the cross. And in that setting, Jesus is actually gathering with His disciples. It's, it's for the Passover meal. And he gathers with them, and it's there that he comes and he washes their feet, and then he um, has a meal with them. He has a Passover meal, but he, he kind of reframes it and makes it what, what we know as communion. In fact, we're going to celebrate that together in just a little bit. But, so there's some poignant moments in that, and he does a lot of different teaching in that time. And it's one of those things where I think he was aware of what was happening and was about to happen. And so what he had to say was really important to him. In fact, I just this week I did a couple of different funerals and, and I know being with those families, in the moments preceding death, there are poignant moments where people get really honest with one another and they say what they need to say. And Jesus is poignant, I think. And one of the things that he says to them, to his disciples, is he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In fact, he goes on to say, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Then just a little bit later in that same time together, he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said, look, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to learn from me, if you're going to follow me, here's the deal. You guys need to figure out how to love each other. Now that's a powerful statement. And I think he, he was really clear on that. In fact, if you do that, the world will know that you are my disciples. In fact, that's exactly what happens in the early church. The early church's story is that they so loved one another that the world became curious about them. They wanted to know more. What's going on here? What is this? And I think to myself, wow, we live in a time, if you, you just follow the public discourse in our country today, it's, it's hatred. And it's divisive, and it's divided. And I think the world is desperate. I think we're all desperate for something different, aren't we? Well, what if Jesus said, you can do this, but you've got to learn how to love each other? And the world might go, wow, what's going on here? So here we are in this series called Make Room. So the question is, how can we learn from one another? How can we love across our differences? How can we create environments where authentic relationships can grow and flourish? How can we be the body of Christ that maybe looks different so that the world go, wow? You know, I know that over the last few weeks we've talked about different things. Jeff came and talked about being uncomfortable. Dave talked about humility. Alice talked about curiosity. Today I want to talk about something really simple. It's just the idea of being patient with one another. In fact, 
It's not really the word I wanted to use, but I, I, the word that I want to use is, is forbearance. It's a biblical word that I want to talk about, forbearance. But I thought, no one's going to know what that means. So I didn't put that as a title of my sermon or message today. So really what I want to talk about is forbearance, which is patience on steroids. Okay? It's just a deeper meaning of what, what patience is. It's this idea, and I want to look at, at the definition of, of forbearance. It's this idea of self-restraint or self-control. It's giving slack to the other. In legal terms, it's this. It's the action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. So how many of you probably have had a, a student loan or your kids have had a student loan, and they got a letter and the letter was a letter of forbearance, right? The, the lender had the right to collect, but they're, they're choosing not to collect for a period of time. That's the idea. That there's a debt, but they're choosing not to enforce it. Or, some writers said this about forbearance. It is patience under provocation. Listen to this. Whereas patience is often waiting for others to mature in grace, forbearance is being patient when that immaturity is directed at you. That's an interesting one. Or it is the putting up with the wrongs of another for a season with a view towards change or repentance. It is a manifestation of grace in that it suspends punishment but it is, it's a foreshadowing, really, of, of God's justice fulfilled on the cross. So the question is, how in the world can we show forbearance towards one another? How can we show restraint or slack? How can we make room for the other? Well, I want to suggest a few ways. And the first is this. I think we need to remember God's forbearance towards us. It's really critical for us to remember that. And so, in order to do that, I want to look at a paragraph found in Romans chapter 3. It's Romans chapter 3. In fact, one, one author, I was, one commentator, he was saying, this is the most important paragraph in the Bible. And I thought, wow, he's got my attention. But in this paragraph, Paul uses three legal terms. He uses the term justification, he uses the term propitiation or atonement, and he uses the word forbearance, all in the same paragraph. That sounds like Paul. But it's, it's really powerful, and so I want us to read together this, this paragraph out of, out of Romans chapter 3. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me just pause for a second, okay? Paul is writing this to some friends in Rome, and he's taken the first three chapters of this letter to say there, the, the way that we got right with God was really to follow the law. That was the old way. The problem with that, he says, is that the law has the propensity to point out all the ways in which we fail in doing that. So in other words, we all do stupid things, we say stupid things, and we, we fall short of God's glory. Right? But he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. There's a new way. We can be made right with God. 
to which, to which the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's through Jesus this righteousness can be made known and become ours. It's a powerful statement. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the payment of a debt, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Now let me just stop just for a second. Okay, imagine you're walking into a courtroom, and the reality is you're guilty. You know you're guilty. The jury knows you're guilty. The judge knows you're guilty. And everybody knows it, okay? And the judge gets up and declares, you know what? You're guilty. And he imposes a fine that is well beyond anything you could pay. And that's the reality. And then he imposes a penalty. But here's the difference. This is what Paul is saying. Here's the difference of what Jesus makes. The judge suddenly gets up, having declared you guilty, saying you need to pay this penalty, this fine, and you need to exercise this, this, this penalty of, of what you've done. The judge gets up off the bench, goes down, takes off his robe, pulls out a, his checkbook, writes a check, and pays the fine. And then he tells the bailiff, I want you to take me because I'm going to pay the penalty of, of this wrongdoing on behalf of you. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul is saying he did. That's amazing. He didn't whitewash the penalty. He paid the debt in full. In fact, the wages of sin is death, Paul says. And so Jesus died on our behalf. But listen to what he says. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there's that word forbearance. So just imagine right here is a big cross, okay? You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, God looked at the people of Israel, his people, and he looked beyond their sin and all of their rebellion and all their stuff. He looked to the cross. He looked forward to the cross and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's how he dealt with it. He forbore their, their sin. Now, just imagine, what is it that, we, that Jesus uh, did for us? What is it God does for us today? He sees us, but he doesn't just see our, our sin or rebellion or all those things, and, and whether it was past, present, or future, he looks beyond us and he sees the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's forbearance. He says, I see Jesus, His righteousness in you. Now, if that's the case, if God does that for us, 
God is the one who looked past the sin of Israel to the cross of Jesus. God is the one who looks past our sin to the work of Jesus on the cross. God paid our debt. God satisfied our punishment. Why can't we do that for each other? Maybe. Maybe we need to be reminded of what God has done for us. We need to remember what God did for me, what God did for you. It's amazing. If we're to show forbearance, we need to remember God's forbearance, God's love for us, God's patience with us, God's endurance seeing us through. Here's the next thing. I think God also would want us to suspend judgment and become curious. Now, this is not language that Paul uses, but I want to read another paragraph from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, because I think this is exactly what Paul does. He suspends judgment and becomes curious. Listen to what he says. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So in other words, God's paid my debt. I'm free in Christ. I'm under no human being's authority. I am free to do whatever I want to. However, I have become, I'm willing to give up my liberty so that I can serve or become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. So in other words, Paul loved God, and he loved others, and so he became a servant to everyone, whether they were Jew or Gentile. He suspended judgment of who they were. And he became curious. In fact, there's a person by the name of Joseph Grinney who helped me kind of think through this a little bit. He is a social scientist. He's actually spoken at the Leadership Summit. He talks a lot about leadership, and he's the one who really gave me this language, this idea that it's so important for us to learn how to suspend judgment and become curious because, he says, there's two things that we tend to do right away. He says, when somebody does something that we think is maybe wrong or offensive, maybe sends that email that's critical, posts something on Facebook, or says something or does something to us that violates a personal and deeply held conviction or value, here's what we tend to do. We personalize it. We tell ourselves a story. We say, They don't like me. Or, oh, they're out to get me. Or they want to undermine me. He said we do that all the time. 
In fact, that's our tendency. It's a, a default. So he says we have to suspend judgment just for a moment and look at facts. Why would a reasonable, rational person do that? Then he says the second thing we tend to do is not only that we personalize it when they say something or they do something or they, they proclaim something that we may disagree with or we may have a different you know, idea about, we villainize them. We villainize. We start separating fact from story. We think that they're incompetent or we think that they're evil, enjoying causing me suffering, that they are doing this on purpose to challenge me. And then he gives a great example of what this looks like. And I want to tell you that story just, just for a second. It is about uh, a Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington. Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington is an alternative high school. And at one point, they had more than 700 incidences of uh, reportable sort of uh, police action incidents with students. So the police were involved, whether it was a, a gun or a threat of violence or all these things. And so it was, it was a hard place. Until a person by the name of Jim Sporer later showed up as the high school principal of uh, Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington. It literally went from 700 down to 200. And so Joseph Graney decided, I need to find out what's going on here. And so he, he did. He went and researched it. And Jim Sporer later had three simple rules. No drugs, no violence, no threat of violence. Now you'd think that would be pretty easy to live up to, right? But not so much in, in Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington. But there was an incident when Granny was there with Emilio. Emilio was caught with marijuana, a bag of marijuana. You know, uh, he had this bag of weed and he was behind the school. Of course, of course he's behind the school, right? That's where it all happens. Behind the gym, behind the school. And there were two other uh, cohorts with Emilio. And the security uh, guard found Emilio and his two cohorts. And, but the, the bag of weed had been thrown away, so he couldn't pin it on the one. So he brought them all in. And one by one, they faced Mr. Sporlater, the high school principal. And there, before Mr. Sporlater, was Emilio. And, and Mr. Sporlater walked in, and Emilio is sitting there really tough and defensive and, and just ready to have a fight. And Mr. Sporlater sat down and said, Okay, Emilio, let's begin with the facts. You're with your friends, been caught with a bag of marijuana. You want to tell me about that? And he said nothing. And then Mr. Sporlater did did something else. He asked a question that sort of surprised Emilio. He said, Emilio, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your stress level right now? And Emilio looked, kind of looked at him and said, well, 9. And Mr. Sporlater said, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. This is a very stressful situation. You know, you, you put yourself here. And, but let me ask you another question. What was your stress level a week ago on a scale of 1 to 10? And Amelia said, kind of looked at him, said, well, 9. And Mr. Sporler said, well, tell me about that. I mean, how in the world are you showing up at school? 
How in the world are you doing your schoolwork? What, what in the world is going on in your life, Emilio? And Emilio sort of paused. And he said, six months ago, I was coming home from school, and I noticed a whole bunch of fire trucks in my neighborhood. My house was on fire. And I got up to my house, and I heard my sister screaming. And I ran into the house. I wanted to run in, but the fireman held me back. My sister died in the fire. And Mr. Spore later was devastated. I said, Emilio, you've been carrying this around for six months? Wow. What, what, what can we do for you? He said, here's the deal. You know, we're going to have to put you in suspension. But I want to get you connected with some help. And sure enough, every day, every day during suspension, Mr. Sporolator would show up and sit with Emilio. And every day, at the end of his time with Emilio, he'd get up, he'd give him a hug. He got him connected to counseling and, and some other services. And he helped Emilio. In the process, you know, Emilio began to change. In fact, Joseph Grenny tells a story. He said, two years later, we decided to go connect with Emilio. And here's what he found out. Emilio had a great conversation with, with Joseph. He said, hey, and Joseph simply asked, how are you doing, Emilio? He said, well, I, I'm doing great. He said, I know Mr. Sporolator in the school. They just, they just did what they needed to do. But they were... They helped me think. I needed some time to think, and I had to decide what kind of person I wanted to be. And I decided I didn't want to be this guy on drugs. And so for almost two years, he had been drug-free. Here's how he ended that conversation. He said to Mr. Spor to Joseph Crenny, he said, tell Mr. Spor later, I love him. I love him. Why? Because he suspended judgment and got curious. Why would a reasonable, rational person do that? What if we could simply suspend judgment just for a moment? And we decided, rather than getting angry or upset, we become curious. Or what if we could be the kind of people that were quick to show grace instead of judgment, to show grace? Listen to what Paul says in verse 22 of that, that paragraph. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, I want to demonstrate something. I want to demonstrate my love for them first rather than my judgment, or my frustration, or my disappointment. Can we be that kind of people? I could say a whole lot more about that, but let me keep moving. <clears throat> I think the last thing, if we're to show forbearance, we need to exercise wisdom. We need to exercise wisdom. And maybe some of you have been waiting for me to say that because, you know, there are certain things that Jesus had a moral code, Paul had a moral code, and when that moral code was violated, Jesus confronted it, right? 
So we need to exercise wisdom. In fact, Paul says in the same paragraph, he says, not to those having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, I become uh, like those not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. But he says, I'm still under the authority of Jesus. So I don't have to do what they're doing. I don't have to endorse what they're thinking or, or what they're saying. But I am trying to lead with, with relationship. I think that's what Paul is saying. He pursued relationship without endorsement. He's still under the authority of Jesus. He pursued relationship without engagement in the other's activity. He's still pursuing Jesus. Here's the thing. What if we did the same? What if we were willing to pursue a relationship without endorsement? What if we were willing to pursue a relationship without engaging in what they're doing? To demonstrate something. Let me tell you a story. When I was uh, outside of ministry for a period of time, I had to get a job. I mean, my family needed some income, and so I like, signed up for a temporary job. It was a chemical company that made uh, water treatment chemicals, and basically I, I took batches of chemicals and put them in little bottles. Okay, that was my job. So I decided a couple things when I started this job. There's gonna, I'm going to do this job the best that I can do it. And the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to serve the people around me. I'm going to try to do that as well as I can. And so I went into this job with this attitude that these are the things I'm going to do. I, I quickly learned that in my area where I was working, there was the boss, but then there was the guy that was the real boss. You know what I mean? He knew everything. And so I decided, well, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to get to know him. And, and I asked him questions. I said, how, do you, how would you do this? How would you do this? And he just loved telling me how he would do things, you know? And he showed me, showed me some things. And over time, I gained his trust, and we began doing some projects together. And then it was amazing. We'd sit down, we'd talk, and there was two things he loved. He loved golf, and he loved, uh, let me just put it this way, a lifestyle that was far from God. And he would tell me, and we would talk. And sometimes he'd come and say, why don't you join me? And he said, you know, I'm telling you, friend, I want to be married. You know? And so I got to know my friend. I just got curious. What if we pursued relationship without endorsement? What if we pursued relationship without engagement of their activity? What if, as God's people, we learned how to love across our differences? What if we could show forbearance? Can we create environments where relationships can grow and flourish? Here's the thing. When I was restored into ministry, we had this big old hadoo. It was a service, you know, and it was, it was a big deal for me, for my wife. Guess who showed up at that service? He snuck into the back, and he was squirming the whole time. But after the service, you know what happened? He came up to me and said, hey, come. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what are we going to find in your car, okay? But we, 
went out to the car. He pulls out my golf clubs. He got my golf clubs. He put new grips on my clubs. He gives them to me, then he gives me a big hug. And he walks off. I thought, my friend is going to be in the kingdom of heaven someday. My friend. We need to learn how to love each other. We need to learn to love people who are different from us. Think differently. Act differently. Why? Because God did that for us. He did it for us. In fact, we have the privilege now of of joining in communion. This is the moment where you get to remember all that God did for you. All that Jesus did for you on the cross. That He paid your debt. It's wiped clean. That He also paid your penalty for you. Any past, present, or future rebellion away from God, He doesn't see that. He sees the finished work of the cross. He sees that in you. So can we come together and celebrate this together? So when you take that bread and you take that juice, you're reminded again of what Jesus has done for you. Can you be that kind of person for the person next to you? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was with his disciples, he took bread and broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and he poured it out. He said, This is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray and we're going to receive the elements. God, thank you so much for your love for us, your patience with us, your kindness demonstrated to us. Lord, all of us say and do silly things. We've all fallen short of your glory. We need your help. Through this bread and through this juice, God, may we be reminded of your deep love for us your grace extended to us, your forbearance that you give to us, God. I would ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.